Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast with the Switch to Manual guys. I'm Antonio. And I'm Tom. And hi, Tom. It is really very, very warm out today, and I'm sweating a lot. <laughs> Too much information. Yeah, yeah. Summertime is here. Yeah. So uh, this is our 24th episode, and uh, we have a guest with us. Before I get into that, though, I want to talk about that uh, I missed you in the last episode, Tom. I did it by myself, as you probably heard. Yeah, how dare you do I, a podcast without me, man? And we, we're not the switch to manual guy. We are the switch to manual guys. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to make sure we had a show go up, but I know you were you were traveling. So how was your trip? It was great. It was great. It was interesting. Cleveland, you know, it was, uh, yeah, I hadn't spent a lot of time there, but some really interesting architecture and uh, big, huge event that i was at so there there's some cool stuff but uh it's good to be back in new york yeah, yeah and you good. did a fine job i have to say Angela. thank you it was weird talking to myself for a half an hour but uh i, I do that sometimes but i do it in my yeah. head it was a good episode I, yeah. i'm still kind of bummed that i missed the mermaid parade so it was cool to re-experience it vicariously through your experience shooting it it was a blast except for the rain but it was we talked about that previous like well how to do you know shooting in the rain and stuff like that so it was a good chance to test some of that stuff out but anyway, let's just get right into the show. We have a very special guest with us today, Gene Mealy, who is my closest friend in the world. Hello, Antonio. Hello, Gene. Hey, Gene. What's happening, Tom? Not much. Great to have you here. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your time and doing this. Oh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, too. Yeah, and we've been wanting to get you on the show for a while, and it worked out so perfectly timing-wise, so thanks. thanks so much. So should we jump right in? Jump right in. Go ahead. Okay. Well, do you know, one of the things we like to do when we have a guest on is get an overview of how you got into photography and some of the important influences on you, things that sent you in different directions and how, how did you get to where you are now? And um, I mean, we should have had a formal uh, bio prepared to read off because you're teaching at the International Center of Photography, you do workshops, you've taught internationally, and you've done all kinds of amazing things, and we'll be telling people how to find out more information about you, and we want you to tell us about your workshops at the end, but for people who are discovering you for the first time, um, how do you get into photography, and tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, I mean, this passion for making pictures is something the three of us share, and we talk about a lot, right? So... It goes way back at this point. In fact, uh, Antonio and I, you know, worked together at the Image Bank in the late 80s as photo editors. And, you know, that was where I sort of transitioned from being someone who was making a bunch of pictures and sort of developing my own film in my own darkroom just for fun to someone who discovered the whole world of, of what photography can be commercially um, and mm -hmm. Artistically, you know, so so Antonio and I were editing thousands and thousands and thousands of slides uh, submitted by these really top-notch photographers from all over the world. And what we were doing is we were the the conduit, you know, sort of in between the photographers submitting their work and the offices that could sell that work. So we got to see, you know, outtakes and final um, sort of perfect images from world-class photographers from this behind-the-scenes perspective. And that's, that's where I, yeah, it was really kind of amazing. Um, so that's where I discovered the whole genre of corporate photography. That is, at the time, annual report photography was a thriving uh, industry mm -hmm. where uh, people would go to factories and trading floors and research and design facilities. And on film, they'd use, you know, photographic magic to transform mm -hmm. these places into these beautiful polished stories and that really was a revelation for me so the editing at the image bank was a huge thing assisting as a photo assistant in new york for i guess eight or nine years um i assisted all these still life photographers people who shot eight by ten with these big speedatron packs and you know mm. Large format transparency film, which basically leaves zero room for error, a really different world than it is today where we get immediate feedback on the back of the digital camera and where everyone has access to sort of making super high quality images. 
So I came up pretty old school, you know, large format cameras, darkroom work, commercial photography, um, black and white darkroom, my own from the time that I was like around 20 years old. And uh, I've been making my living in photography now since, I guess, the mid to late 1980s, which makes me mature. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, seasoned. yeah, yeah, you're blossoming, seasoned. man. Yeah. Seasoned, right? Yeah. So, like so fine I mean, wine. I mean, what Malcolm Gladwell says is, you know, mastery requires ten thousand hours of practice. That's basically ten years at forty hours a week. And I think, you know, while I don't feel like I'm the master of everything, um, I feel like I've put in my time to understand what the magic is in photography. And so that's the thing that I'm still really interested in. It's the thing I was always interested in is the, the process of transformation that happens in between the seeing and the making of the photograph. Uh, and that can involve darkroom work. It can involve, you know, digital darkroom work. It can involve lighting. It can involve all of those things, you know, including just basic choices on the camera, the way you guys teach it in switch to manual. I mean, what's in focus, what's out of focus, how big the depth of field is, what the lens is. But all of those little things add up to this real alchemical process where it's possible to make something really special and really unique to the person who's making it. And that's, that's the photographic journey that I'm in for, both feet in. Yeah, Antonio, I, I think, has a question that's along those lines because we were talking about sort of the tension between photography as sometimes viewed as, you know, this effort to capture what is as realistically as possible versus creating something. Yeah, and a, a while back we made this video with you, which is on your website. I hope yep. people watch it. But one of the outtakes, which was really difficult for me to edit out, but you had talked about being a fiction photographer. And I was always and still always fascinated by that statement and what it meant and how it fits in with the type of photography you do. Well, I think the type of photography I do is changing, although there are some commonalities. I mean, it's always been about this transformative process. It's always been about the potential in things rather than necessarily the way things are. Um, but when I said that I was a quote unquote fiction photographer, that evolved a little bit out of a, um, a feeling that sometimes being a photographer who, who makes multiple images, who makes composite images, who doesn't necessarily believe that there is a reality out there to capture that it's all so subjective that the way we see things changes those things themselves. Feeling sometimes a little defensive about that, I came on this analogy, which is um, between writing and photography. Um, what, I, what I like to say is that nobody gets mad at novelists for writing a novel. But when someone finds out that you're making photographs that aren't necessarily highly correlated to reality, there, there's this emotional charge based on the myth that the camera never lies that you're doing something wrong. And if we just look at it like writing or some other creative endeavor. Yeah, painting. Um, painting, you know, yeah. yeah. Right. It's like there are different genres. So in writing, there's, there's reference you know, there's, there's the encyclopedia, which is just reference material and somebody had to write that and it's supposed to be factual. And then what you've got is you've got like Isabel Allende or Gabriel Garcia Marquez and they're writing this, this magical fiction. And then you have regular fiction and historical fiction and you have all these other styles of writing. But there isn't really a big judgment about how it's bad to write truth or lies, you know? So true. I wonder if that has something to do with just, you know, photography having come into just having been so universalized and democratized, like every, you know, we say everybody is a photographer. And I, I say, that's not such a bad thing. I love that. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who are newly discovering photography. So there is that, that sense of like, maybe a lot of us need to mature as artists and understand that art is not always about just trying to sketch exactly what we see, but it's like you say, it's, 
it's being, it's giving creative vision to our experience of the world. And I mean, oftentimes I have the feeling reading fiction that, wow, this person just said something, you know, more described reality more profoundly than any nonfiction mm -hmm. I've ever read. There is as much strength in the interpretation of reality. Yeah. And that's where the creativity enters in. And that's yeah. part of what we're all about is the switch to manual guys, like learn to take control of your camera so you can, it just opens a window of creativity. I'm curious what, what novel you have in mind that really changed your point of view. The, the one that I think of immediately is Neil Gaiman's American Gods. And when I read that, I felt like, oh, my God, I just learned something incredibly important that really changed the way that I see everything. And mm -hmm. I have no idea what it is. Mm -hmm. It just was totally intangible. And I think, I think that's what we're talking about here is the intangible part of photography. You know, the, the appeal for me about making pictures, even though I love words very much, you know, as you both know, um, yeah. is that we get to communicate where we totally skip the words. It's almost like it's body-to-body -body communication, skipping the part of our mind that really tries to categorize and make sense and nail down every little thing into a defined something, right? There's something really, really still undefined, even with the clearest, most beautiful photograph, the most moving photograph. It still doesn't have this thing where you know everything about it. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, yeah. I think with novels and with poetry, that's what you're talking about also is, is, you know, there's this communication, but there's also more to it than you know you're getting. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And the viewer brings so much. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's more dreamlike. It's a symbolic language because there are, yeah, the words are taken out and we're, you know, we're showing, we're expressing how we see the world through things that we see and, and you're giving birth to images. I mean, I tend to be more photorealistic, but you know, in your work, I see that you're birthing dreams, man. You know, I mean, you're painting paintings that are more like the way Monet would sort of give life to a, a pond, you know, it's like, it's, there's a dreamlike quality. And it's interesting that you like to use the language of alchemy of transformation, you know, base yeah. materials. And, um, because that's, I see that clearly in, in the work that you're doing. So Gene, I'd, I'd love to hear more, uh, more of your thinking about the, the whole alchemical process, which for people are, who are totally unfamiliar with it, it's the ancient practice um, preceding chemistry of turning metal into gold. And so it's, a, it's all about transformation. And, and you invoke the language of alchemy to talk about what you're doing photographically. So I just love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, this is, this is fun stuff to talk about. Um, in fact, in Paulo Coelho's book, The Alchemist, he says something that I think speaks really directly to the way I like to engage with photography. And that is that the whole world that we see, I mean, I'm just paraphrasing now. I don't have the quote at my fingertips. He says, uh -huh. the whole world that we see is just a promise. He says, it's a promise that there is a perfect world somewhere, right? And that everything in this world is a pointer towards that other more perfect world. Um, and I really like that because what happens in this world is the light changes or the circumstances change and suddenly you just see everything differently. There are some days when everything just sparkles, some moments when, you know, the, the trees out your window or whatever it is that you're walking by just on the street suddenly comes alive visually. And I think that's what we're constantly trying to make or find or create or see or engage with as photographers. This, this idea that the world in front of us on some level is really beautiful potential that we want to sort of help other people see. So I think journalists do that also. It's just they're not necessarily rearranging the structure of the picture to do it, uh, which I think is a much harder way to go. Do you think, I want to say this is our job, but do you think, you just said helping people to see. Is that sort of the, I want to say the task of the photographer? Is that, there's something in that, helping I think to see? I think, I think it is actually, you know, I think, I think on some level, 
all the decades that I've spent learning to photograph weren't so much about learning to photograph as learning to see myself, like learning to see the best in the world. And I think as teachers, and all three of us teach, I think that's the job. I think it's to help people see not only the best in things, but to help them make the photographs that are theirs to make instead of the photographs that are just copies of other people's pictures. You know, once, once someone starts making the pictures that show us the special things that they see that no one else is in a position to see, that's when I think we're all getting somewhere. Oh, I couldn't agree more, man. That process of, of seeing, you know, I, I think we, it's so easy to, to take it for granted and to think, you know, we just open our eyes and look out and see what is when there's so many, as you're getting at in your comments, there's so many levels to reality and, and life, I think, is all about learning to see deeper into the mystery. You know, Rilke, the poet, was was all about that, you know, just the art of, of seeing. And it's so fascinating that you guys started off like really being presented with sort of the vision of some of the best photographers in the world as photo editors, you were just seeing like through the eyes, through the camera of all these uh, great photographers. And, and that was your starting off point. I think that's so, so well, fascinating. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, I mean, all the music that we listen to, all of the, the photographs that we look at by other people, you know, the museums full of sculpture and paintings. I mean, there's something about, about imbibing all that stuff, about taking yeah. it in yeah. that changes us and helps us see things clearer. And I think seeing is just a metaphor here. It has nothing to do with like the visual medium. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had some, I had some body work done last week by a blind man who saw my body in ways that I just can't even see it. Like mm-hmm. I can't even imagine, um, the depth to which he understood my physical anatomy. I'm still coming mm-hmm. to grips with that. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then a lot of the time there are these mixed metaphors about um, seeing and listening. You know, like listen to your heart or do you see what I mean or um, let's see what we can do. You know, all these interesting yeah. twists of language where, where seeing and listening and hearing are all – synonymous words used to express deep understanding. Right. So I'm interested in seeing as deep understanding, not as, um, you know, sort of pretty pictures. Although there's an important element about beauty with a capital B, B in here somewhere. There's a segue in here because I want to bring what you're just saying to one of the photographs that you've taken, I think more recently. And I'm, I'm, going to have to buy this from you at some point in the not too distant future and it's a photograph of and i just get it in front of me now i'm so curious which picture you're talking about well and you showed me the prints for this and i it was in iceland okay Uh and let me get it up on screen okay so it's a photograph of what looks like a gorge with a river coming down the middle and there's the sun covered up by some clouds and the Nest, yeah. Some people think that's the moon. I, I was about to say, I was wondering if it's the moon. It's a ver- it's an indistinct white circle. It could be the moon. It could be the sun. I mean, I'm inter- it's interesting because I'm interpreting it as the sun. I know the picture you're talking about, Antonio. It's called A Thin Place. And not all my pictures have titles, but this one does. So, Tom, I wouldn't be surprised if you were familiar with this Celtic-Irish concept that there's, yeah. there's some places in the world where the veil between the worlds is much, much thinner than other places, you know, kind of like, like Avalon or, uh, you know, other holy places. So, so this, this picture, when it was made, it felt like that to me. It felt like it was one of those places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, there's the notion too, that there are certain times of the year, you know, when, uh, when the veil between the two worlds grows thin. And it's funny that that's sort of a universal or at least a earth-aversal concept, you know, yeah. in, in many, many cultures that there's this world and there's another world or other worlds that, you know, that touch on this one. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's largely what my landscape photographs are about. 
<laughs> we're in New York. That's a sound from this world. <laughs> my windows are That's, closed. No, man. I know. It's like we get that all the time. I'm right on on my it Ocean happens. Parkway. So I'm going to back up again. Go ahead. And just say it seems like it seems like pretty much every culture on Earth holds this idea that there are other worlds that touch on this one, and with my landscape photographs in particular. That's what I've really always been interested in in depicting, that idea that this isn't necessarily a national park, but there are some places where it feels like you could just step right into another world that somehow relates to this one, but it's without all of the, the nonsense that goes on in this world. Maybe a world where we're all really able to truly be our best selves. You, you seem to find a lot of that in the shots you have of uh, Iceland, like just the way the landscape is structured and the subjects that you've, you've focused on during in this portfolio that you have of Iceland, that's true throughout the whole body of work I see. Well, I didn't, I didn't realize that you liked this work so much, Antonio. I'm really flattered. Thank you. And, and I just want to say that there are a couple of concepts that are touchstones for me that really come directly from you. I mean, I remember a conversation we had years ago about just going on vacation. And you said something about being interested in going places that were bigger than us. And you didn't mean like, you know, bigger like the Grand Canyon bigger. You meant touching on sort of this, this unseen magic. And so I've always thought about that. And I feel like Thanks to you, Antonio, one of the answers that I now give when people ask me what I photograph is I tell them that I'm interested in photographing things that are bigger than me. Does that lead to a discussion about what that means? Well, it's a lot more interesting yeah. than, you know, I shot this at F8. Right, yeah. And th there is the endless amount of people who still want to, to know that stuff. But, and uh, technical stuff is fun also, but, but, you know, you also made an observation about this particular photograph quite a while ago that really stuck with me, which is, you noticed something that I didn't notice, which is there's no sense of scale in that photograph. Mm -hmm. You can't tell whether the stones are boulders or pebbles on that stream bed. Um, and until you told me that, I hadn't seen the photograph that way. But I really like that you like the photograph, and I'd be very happy to make a print for you. Yeah, it's it. Part of it for me is the otherworldliness of it, and it's it's so funny what we all bring to the pictures that we're looking at. And so, I'm so much a science fiction fan, and I look at that picture, and it's another world to me. And it is. I've never been to Iceland. I've never seen this place, and you're showing me something that I haven't seen. So it might as well be alien. But it there's something. And there's this, the fact that it's fractured ground, you know, earth, but there's this beauty running through the middle of it yep. and you can see how the pieces fit together. And again, it's this, you know, orb in the sky. I don't know if it's a moon or a sun. We all sort of put our own things into, into the picture. So, and the quality, I think I'm really just, I'm enthralled by the quality of light too. I mean, there's, there's so many elements to this picture. There's, there's fire. Actually, and I'm looking at it. There are the elements. There's water, earth, fire. Um, I'm missing out the elements. Light. Air. 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 Yeah. It's, yeah. it's got all the elements. In it. And I just realized that now as I'm looking at it. that I was just going to say, I was just going to say exactly that. That picture has all five elements. I mean, the fifth element is spirit. So you've got water, air, earth, fire as represented by the sun. And then spirit is implied. Yeah. Um, and you also just said that so beautifully about the way that we project ourselves onto the photographs that we see. But I think we also project ourselves onto the photographs we make. And I think in teaching, I'm really interested in helping people do that in a way that they're aware of what they're projecting and they're projecting what they want onto their photographs. What do, what do you think about that idea of, of projection, Tom? Well, I I think it's one of the more important aspects of photography. I, I really do. Um, you know, Ron Haviv was, talked about visual voice, and it's sort of like our, you know, our thumbprint on on an an image, the thing that makes it your own. And yeah, I think our work from from the artistic creative side is is all about sort of breathing our energy and spirit into what it is that that we're creating, and so. When I see an image of of Antonio's that I know is his, 
I feel like I'm I'm seeing his vision of the world for a moment. I can just see through his eyes, you know, and the same yeah. with your work. And when I look at one of my own images and I say that that is one of my images and that's because I've got a siren going on in the background. That's because that is how I see the world. And so I and part of that, of course, is is our projection that, you know, the idea that we can just objectively see things is just, it's, it's a notion of the past. I mean, modern particle physicists have pointed out that by observing, we're already interacting and that there's this subjective mix that we engage when, when we're creative. And so, I mean, I just think it's awesome that, that you feel this great creative liberty to, to, uh, as Rilke would say, um, you know, make big shadows that God can move in, you know, it's sort of like, Hey, don't, don't just try to sketch, you know, that profile, you know, birth something new based on what you're seeing, because we're all seeing different things and bringing our experience to the canvas. I love that perspective. I mean, I heard something recently that I really liked, which is that which you seek is also seeking you. Hmm. Uh, I like, I like that. that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I mean, for a, what a motto for a photographer. You know, that yeah. great shot well, that you're looking for is looking for you. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's 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 true, I think, in everyday life as well as in photography, though, that like if you're looking for the world to be a place that's filled with difficulty and violence, that's what you're going to find. And maybe, you know, maybe you're a photojournalist who's seeking, you know, seeking to see the way that human beings will transcend a violent environment. You know, the, the great acts of humanitarianism that happen only amidst tremendous upheaval and violence, but you know, that's what they're looking to see. And so that's what they will find. And I'm looking to see sort of this evidence of, of God in the landscape or in, you know, everyday reality. And so, you know, I keep looking for it. I keep finding and I keep finding it more. You know, my question for you, Tom Martinez, is do you think you actually see more hawks than the average person? Or do you think you're just more finely attuned to the presence of hawks and therefore you see them where other people wouldn't? I, personally, I think they just show up for you. They, they follow him around. I know that for a fact. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it, it proves the validity of that in Atlanta saying that you just shared about, uh, you know, what you're looking for is looking for you. I, I feel like there is this, and it's really a fascinating notion, I think. I mean, it's never occurred to me that there's this profoundly reciprocal nature going on. Like, we tend to think, oh, I'm going to go out in the world and just capture a little piece of it. But we don't always think that the world is seeking to meet us as we are seeking to meet it, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, that that we look for, we will surely find. So, you know, as we go out looking for beauty, that's what we're going to find. And if we go out looking for horror, I'm sure that's what we're going to find too. So, you know, in a way, this photographic practice is, uh, it's, it's some kind of divination, I think, where, you know, I make photographs to find out what I'm interested in. I make photographs to find out what I believe about the world at this particular time in my life. Um, you know, I make photographs to figure out more about myself. And so the teaching part, I think, is just helping people get in touch with the idea that um, the photographs they make contain this treasure trove of information about what they're up to and what's seeking them. Absolutely. Well, that segues into something I wanted to ask you about, Gene, because uh, Antonio and I are offering portfolio reviews, and I know you've done a lot of that work. And so... As a teacher, when you sit down and review some images uh, with someone who is learning the art and the craft, and how might those ideas come to bear so that you're helping them to see what it, what it is that's emerging from their work, from a different... Yeah. You know, having put in all this time, I think I see things in people's work that's harder for them to see. And and these days, I first of all, I love that you guys are doing portfolio reviews. I think it's really awesome. Um, and 
when I do portfolio reviews, like for the main media workshops, I do free portfolio reviews every year around the Javits Photo Expo at B&H. Uh, and we do those for free. And that's always a really interesting couple of days for me because people I don't know who I've never met come sit across the table from me and they lay the work down. And a lot of the time it feels like I'm giving them a tarot reading or a psychic reading. I was just going to say that. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Yeah. It really is though. It's like, it's like, you know, there was one woman who came to one of those reviews and she showed me this work that was really quite beautiful. And I'm looking at it. And it's really, really clear that the whole thing, even though these were basically abstract pictures of uh, semi-abstract street photographs of sort of shadows in doorways, but I, I had this really strong sense that, that they were all about loss. So I look at the photographs and I make a couple of technical observations and I ask the woman, you know, have you lost someone close to you recently? And her eyes got like saucers. Wow. It was like, you know, apparently her life partner had passed away like a year before or something like that. And it was just so evident in the photographs, but it wasn't evident to her. But, but wow. what's you feel wonderful, it. You, could see it. you could see it. You could really see it. It was quite clear. What's wonderful about that, though, is she wasn't making generic pictures of flowers or sunsets. She was clearly making photographs that were reflecting what was inside her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key for everybody uh, is to get to the place where you try out making the picture that looks like Ansel Adams and Edward Weston and whoever else you're interested in. And you get that out of your system to a point where you're playing your own song. You know, it's like, okay, you sit down and you play the scales and you play Rachmaninoff and you play, you know, Billy Joel. But at some point, wouldn't it be nice if you started sitting down at that piano and your song just started coming out? Yeah, it's interesting that you're uh, you, you talk about songs, and I'm looking at your portfolios on your website, and you've got you're going from these Iceland, these these nature, wonderful landscape pictures, which is one kind of music, and now I'm looking at your pictures of your in industry, your vestiges of industry, and your maritime studies, and that's another kind of music, and there I want to say like some off the top, one might look at them as total opposites. I don't necessarily see that, uh, you know, different, but it is a vastly different song you're playing when you're doing these man-made objects that you really spent a lot of time with and a lot of love for. And in your description, you say, the first thing you say, we live, we work, we dream, we create. Some people lavish their time, attention, imagination on love, on machines, technology. You know, so... Can you talk about that a little bit, this exploration of what might seem opposites, but I know are not for you? Yeah, it took me a long time to figure this out. But whether I'm photographing abandoned factories or I'm making composite landscapes or I'm making pictures of the Milky Way or even just portraits, I think the thing that I'm always, always interested in is sort of the unseen forces that shaped what I'm looking at. You know, whether it's a person or a machine or geology, it's like I'm present to that place or that person over time and that, you know, everything that's happened to them, everything that they've experienced is somehow in front of me if only I can see it. And I'm really interested in, in what the stories that create everything are. And somehow I think we can make photographs about that. So even though the subject matter seems really, really different, the interest is always the same, which is what's under the surface? What are the unseen forces? And also, how can I make a photograph from whatever is actually in front of me and whatever light is there how can i how can i use the photographic magic that we all know to make that into something that's also really visually rich and not just implies this greater story by you know here's a picture of a hydroelectric dynamo right mm-hmm. i mean that's just a snapshot so so this idea that you talked about before Antonio that um, 
there's this democracy of photography where um, there's a world out there and all we have to do is capture it, right? Even the people who believe in that, even the people who believe in making photographs that have a high correlation of accuracy to what's happening out in front of the camera, right? Even, even those people recognize that there are some people whose work is just stronger than others, right? If, if it was true that it's, it's just a matter of capturing what's out there, then all we need is some robot that clicks the shutter at the right time. So what's the difference between, you know, engaging in that transformation the way that Sebastio Salgado does or the way that W. Eugene Smith did or the way any of the great photojournalists do in trying to tell an accurate story but still making the photographs beautiful and in recognizing that it's just a baby step from there into the idea that um, we're constantly creating our own reality by how we choose to see things. All right, maybe that was a little less esoteric. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Like we're with you, man. We're with you. We're just yeah. not sure where to go from there, except I just want to go out and start creating some reality. Right. So, yeah. so, yeah. right. So that's, that's what, that's what fires you up, right? Yeah. I mean, going out and photographing those, those, um, the seabirds, the birds of prey out in Marine Park. Osprey. Yeah. Uh-huh. Osprey. I mean, that was a beautiful slice of reality. Yeah. And then other times it's, it's like, there's this hybrid reality. I was telling Antonio today over lunch that, that I've been doing a little bit of time-lapse shooting on my roof. And so, you know, I'm taking pictures of the Manhattan skyline and these surreal clouds and I'm not compositing anything together and I'm not doing any heavy retouching. And even so, I look at these pictures and it's like, oh, well, this is stuff that we don't see with our ordinary eyes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It gets, it gets to the magic of photography and, you know, which we devoted a entire podcast to, but that at any level that people are at with photography, there is that I experience, I think we can all relate to of seeing something, taking the image and then looking at the back of your camera now in the digital age and just realizing I have just created something new. It's not exactly what I saw, but it's a combination of what I saw, how I saw it, what the camera did, what I did. And, and now there's something new in the world. So it is a profoundly creative experience. Yeah, there's there's a there's a very high expression of that that happens once in a while where where you take a picture and you look at that picture on the back of the camera and you're like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. where did that come from? That's awesome." You yeah. feel like you didn't even do it. It was just right. a gift that was given to you from somewhere. But you did do it because you chose that frame. You chose when to press the trigger. Yeah. yeah, you, you, you had, had a hand in it. That's you had sure. an absolute hand in it. Yeah, yeah. And chance favors the prepared, right? It's like the more we train ourselves with the tools and the technique, and the more familiar we get with what works for us and what doesn't, and what attracts us, and what's what's a, a reliable voice in our head that says, "Hey, look over here." The more we train for all that stuff, the more chance, the better the odds are mm-hmm. that that is going to happen. That is a great quote. That might have to be the title of the podcast. <laughs> Switching gears slightly, but we are gearhead people a little bit. Yeah. I mean, just because that's the nature of photography. You recently went through a transformation from one kind of camera to another. And yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because that can be a little interesting as well. And, and what- yeah, you know, I think, I think if you had talked to me a year ago, and asked me whether the camera makes a difference, I probably would have said no. I would have said, no, it's just a tool. It doesn't matter what camera you have. And I think to some degree that's true. Like you can make great pictures with a less expensive camera. And there are lots of people with really expensive cameras who can't make good pictures because they're not in touch with the stuff that we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. They're not in touch with making their own pictures. Mm -hmm. But what kind of blows my mind is that the files that I'm getting from a Nikon camera feel completely different than the files that a Canon camera makes. And the files that my Fuji makes also feel completely different. Like it feels like 
the the unique nature of each different raw file wants to be processed a different way. It wants to be handled a different way that it, it'll go in certain directions more easily than others. And it feels like there's real personality to each different sensor and each proprietary configuration of a raw file. It's like, I'm really surprised to find this to be the case. As you're saying this, I agree with you 100%. And to not even create this, this camera versus this camera and this brand better than this brand, but the feeling of what you're working with is there's different feelings. And I'm wondering, we're all going through these transformations. We're getting older. We're, we're doing different things with our photography. I'm, I've now moved more towards street photography and it's not about like, man, the Nikon is not good for street photography. So I got this Fuji. It was that there's something in the feeling of the pictures that I'm getting that works with this new direction I'm going and I'm, I'm evolving and I don't dislike one camera over the other. It's something that's that's transformed my feelings. And as you're moving on in your career with photography, you the way you're describing this is that there's now you are wanting this new feeling. It's not that one was necessarily better than the other, but right. the direction you're going in, this is the feeling you're with now. And what I'm doing these days mostly is is making art to sell through Catherine Couturier Gallery in Houston and doing my teaching, you know, at main media workshops at ICP in New York, over in Norway sometimes. Maybe I'll even be doing some workshops in the autumn here in New York City. But as I try to make art for sale, you know, I don't want to repeat myself endlessly. So I'm looking to see what it is that I'm interested in now. And I'm surprised the degree to which each individual picture that I shoot wants to become one thing or another. Like I used to really lean towards making everything black and white. And lately my colors, my pictures don't necessarily want to be strictly Mm -hmm. monochrome. I feel all this color creeping in and it's just what's coming from the pictures. It's not a choice that I'm making. It's a response to what is coming out of the camera. Um, and you and I were talking today about, you know, video and motion and time lapse. And I can't make prints of time lapse to sell in a gallery, but I'm still finding it very intriguing to make these pictures just for the sake of making them. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. It, it, it's an affirmation of just the ongoing nature of the creative process that it's not about, I mean, it's a wonderful feeling to be able to master one particular thing, but part of being creatively alive is allowing yourself to be called in new directions and try new things. We, we just did a podcast on do the opposite just yeah. for people who are in a particular right, based on the Seinfeld episode, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our profound source, but you know, but right. George Costanza knows a thing or two. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like if I was if I was a musician and I had been playing trumpet for thirty years, it's like, yeah. oh, you know, I've been studying saxophone lately, or or if I had been painting with with watercolors, it's like, oh, I want to make some pieces in oil, mm-hmm. and they're just going to feel really different because the medium is different. So it's almost like each different camera brand, or even each different level of camera within brands. Mm-hmm. is almost a medium unto itself. It's like they're different instruments. Yeah, it's, so that, that's a great way to describe it. It's like Jack White talks about using that old beat-up guitar in it, the documentary of Mike Get Loud, which I've mentioned before because I think it applies so directly to photography that sometimes it's interesting to hamper yourself in a certain way by giving yourself a challenge. I have an old 5D not even a Mark II, and I have this lens that doesn't quite sync up perfectly. Some of the electronic, automatic stuff doesn't work, but there's something about the images it produces that I like, and it, there's a challenge in that. This is like a great rationalization. Like, go buy lots of different equipment. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if something really feels good, go and go and buy it. Well, it's also saying, you know, you don't necessarily have to have the, the top of the line. I agree. Anything. Yeah. yeah. It's more about experimentation and fun and creativity. Yeah. Just as you were saying that, I was thinking maybe I should fire up some of my old digital cameras. And actually, uh, I'm going to the jazz festival thing on, on um, Governor's Island. 
Yeah. And, uh-huh. and Elizabeth, my wife, and I were sitting on the couch, and she goes, I challenge you. She points, we have this camera collection on our shelf. She goes, I challenge you to take pictures at the jazz festival with one of those cameras. <laughs> nice. And That's I was awesome. like, huh. And I'm like, well, but there's, I don't know if I can find film for it except for this one four by five. And, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should. Maybe I should try to figure out how to do this in an old way just to, as, a, as a challenge. So, yeah, I think the idea of challenging yourself with, your, with equipment is, is, a, is a good one. Well, another, another sort of part of what we're talking about now is, is in shooting the time lapses. You and I were talking about, well, shooting JPEG versus RAW. And especially with the time lapse, since you're shooting 400 pictures at a time, there's a real pull to get the picture absolutely right in the camera. You know, to want to engage with it on a JPEG level and set the color balance manually, you know, get the, the sharpening and the contrast settings and do all of that in the camera, which is a very, very old school way of thinking, you know, because either you get it right on the film or you don't. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm really used to thinking in terms of raw files now, where as long as my exposure is anywhere close to the ballpark, I can do whatever I want with that raw file. I could make it look like a cyanotype. I could make it look like a platinum print. I could make it look like Fuji Velvia. I could make it look like a Cibachrome. It's like, you know, it's it's infinitely malleable. But there's there's a voice whispering to me that's saying, slow down, you know, really see clearer, get it right, you know, know what you're going after, which is what film requires of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's nice that you can return to the process with the memory of having shot film and knowing what you can do in post-production, but allowing that to sort of like Zen and the art of archery, just get more yeah. into the, the, the moment of shooting itself. Although I will confess that, you know, like my camera discipline is not what it used to be. It's, it's, it's really requiring an effort to get sure. back into that mindset. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's the ongoing challenge, the practice, right? Just sort of yep. keeping, keeping that, that focus and getting to that deep, still place. Well, Gina, we're, we're, we're going to have to wrap up, but we could talk forever, but I, I want to hear about some of your upcoming workshops. Well, I think that's a great place to bring it in for a landing, Tom, that deep, still place. I think that really is it. So, you know, this idea that we're all listening for the pictures that are ours, you know, that's something that I really like to focus on in the workshops. So, you know, people come from all over the place to either take a technical workshop like at ICP in New York or a workshop that combines, you know, a greater conversation like the one that we had today with shooting, with computer post-processing. And that way we get a whole hands-on maybe five days. Mm. And one of those workshops is coming up at the main media workshops in Camden, Rockport, Maine. And that is just a really, really magical place. I love teaching there and, and... um, usually they have like a dozen different cinematography, photography, digital photography, alternative, traditional photography, like a dozen workshops going on at a time. And everyone who comes for a workshop all has dinner together under this huge tent. And, you know, there's lobster and interaction and shooting and lab time. And so the first week in August, I'm going to be up at the main media workshops doing a black and white digital workshop. And that's going to be really awesome. I recommend that highly. And it's a little far out at this point, but in March of 2016, my friend Chuck Kimmerly and I, we're going to do two weeks back-to-back in Death Valley. Um, and the first week is already sold out. And so wow. we've already wow. got enough people for the second week, but there's still a few spots left. And I think heading out to Death Valley in March to engage in the practice, right? Yeah. To, to actually be making photographs and to have two instructors helping you find your own voice. Um, I think that'll be a really, really, really special workshop. The first week, in fact, it was scheduled because there's going to be a full moon. And I'm already thinking about the time lapses of that, mm. Antonio. Oh, that's going to be fun. And yeah. then I'm hoping the second week it'll be dark enough for us to photograph um, the Milky Way. 
which mm. is supposed to be really spectacular from Death Valley. The only thing I'm scared of in Death Valley is the fact that there'll be no internet and no cell phone reception. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to live like that anymore. Well, that might help you find that still place. <laughs> it yeah, might. Yeah, maybe you know, you'll have to come back uh, on the show and uh, when you come back from the Death Valley uh, trip, let us know how that went. Yeah, I like that. And and you know, there's a full workshop workshop. <laughs> <laughs> there's a full workshop schedule on my website, and the video that Antonio was talking about that in cahoots our production company made that's on my website as well. Yeah, let's um, give that. I guess we'll put a link on the show. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Your okay. website is genemealy.com. It is genemealy.com. All right. And, and spell spell Mealy Gene. That's M I E L E. So it's J E A N M I E L E dot com. So, gentlemen, it's really been a pleasure to talk to you. I mean, it always is. My only regret is that we weren't looking at each other eye to eye over coffee. <laughs> well, we- how about how's tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good, actually. I'd like that. <laughs> cool. All right. So. Thank you so much for being on with the show with us. It was really fascinating. Yeah. Um, love, love your take. You're just so deeply thoughtful about the whole photographic process. It was really a joy to have you on, man. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure, Tom. And thank you to both of you, my switched manual friends. <laughs> Thanks, man. Boy, all right. So that's it for episode 24. Thanks, Gene. And... You guys can find us on our website at switchtomanual.com and we'll be uh, posting about our uh, portfolio reviews really soon. And you'll be able to uh, check them out. We're also on Twitter at switch the number two manual. So switch to manual. We're what else? We're on Facebook, right? Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, if you have any suggestions, please email at us. Uh, suggestions and questions and tips and stuff for our podcast, please email at us at info at switchtomanual.com or tweet us uh, on Twitter, and we'll be happy to. We want to put a show together with uh, people's questions, so we're trying to gather some more questions and tips and stuff. And uh, what else? Oh, if you uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave us comments and uh comments and reviews we could use those we like to uh hear from you so that's it for today right all right yeah it's a wrap it is a wrap so take care everybody and i'll see you later adios ciao